fact, if you kind of do a cultural like kind of survey, like you'll hear people in marketing talk about the power of story. And then you'll hear, you know, filmmakers be like, we just want to tell a story. And documentaries are like through the roof. And they say stuff like, this is a story that needs to be told. And if you did that, you would kind of assume that, you know, in 2021 is like story is this thing that we've just recently kind of stumbled upon that's amazing. Like, oh, the power of story. Actually, God's been using the power of story literally since Genesis chapter one. Like that's how he has communicated of himself is through narrative, through story. Why? Because story communicates personality. Like we are getting to know not just information about him, but what he is like. And that's why I love Acts chapter 11 is because we're seeing what he's like as he works all of these pieces together, as he works this thing over here and brings these people from this area and then they come together and the pieces fit. And I just, I just love, love, love watching this all happen. It's actually my favorite part of being a pastor is hearing your stories is hearing the ways God has worked together uh, in different areas of your life. And then, oh, yeah, I didn't know there was a church here. Oh, this so-and-so invited me. Or, oh, this terrible situation in my life. And I was just like, I need God. And I ended up finding your website. Or you guys were in the park. Just, I love it. I love it with all my heart, just watching God be faithful and good and true and loyal over and over and over and over again through people's stories. And so today's no different. Um, we're going to see God continue to work through these incredible stories um, in chapter 11. And, and the historical foundations of the church are not any different than the thing I just described to you of God working in and through story. We're going to see a lot of those things taking place, these, this series of events, this journey, this uh, circumstances that are lived out in context uh, happening here in Acts chapter 11. And just kind of get the lay of the land. Uh, we're going to start in verse 19. So it says this. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus in Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So we begin this section with a scattered church. Remember, the church began, and I'm talking about Jesus followers here, the community of Jesus followers began in Jerusalem only amongst Jewish followers. Everybody who is a Christian at this point, they didn't call them Christians, we'll get to that at the end of this chapter, but everyone who is a Jesus follower at this point was also a practicing Jew. And they thought, uh, the, the understanding was that this is how the gospel is going to spread through the Jewish community. And so at this point, they were only preaching the gospel to other members of the Jewish faith. They were scattered then when Stephen was murdered back in Acts chapter 7. If you remember that story, if you were with us, there was a persecution by the religious leaders of the Jewish faith against the Jesus followers, and they were scared for their lives. So they began scattering all throughout uh, the Roman Empire and ending up in places like Cyprus and Phoenicia and Antioch. These are all big port cities, uh, a boat ride away from Jerusalem or Joppa, which is kind of the, the seaport near Jerusalem. And there were some of them, as they were scattered, verse 20, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also. Hellenists 
Helen is the Greek word for uh, Roman word for Greek. And so the Greek speaking like non-Jewish faith people, right? This is, this is who they're speaking the gospel to. And they began to believe. Now, this is awesome. Okay, because if you watch the big picture of how God is working this story out, it's incredibly encouraging. The backstory of why they are scattered and why they are where they are is really a story of pain and uncertainty and fear. Like Stephen was murdered, and that's why they ended up scattered all over the place of where they are. But even though God used pain and uncertainty and fear and probably discouragement to get them where they are, now God is going to do this paradigm shift in the entire church that totally transforms their understanding of where they are and why they are where they are. Here's what I mean. If you were a Jewish believer in Jesus, let's say you're on the island of Cyprus, right? Which, who doesn't want to be sent to Cyprus as a missionary, right? Like, middle of the Mediterranean, beaches, like, come on, Jesus. Like, people need to be saved there too, right? You called me to spot. Anyway, so like, so you're sitting on the island, right? Maybe you're getting up early, you're doing your prayers because you're a Jewish believer. And so they have regimented times of prayer each day. And so they get up, they're doing their prayers through the day. Your prayers would probably go something along the lines of this. Why am I here, God? Why did you allow this? Why did you send me all the way out here? Because if you are a believer in Jerusalem, you're like the center of what God is doing. That's where Jesus lived, died on the cross, rose again. Like that's where the giant community of Jesus followers was. And now you're scattered all over. And you're probably wondering to yourself, why is it, why would you allow this, God? Why, can you show me why I'm here, God? Nobody here is Jewish. Nobody here is a believer in the God of the Bible. What, what, can you please just show me what I'm supposed to be doing right now? It would probably be a very frustrating, difficult, hard place to be. So now, let's picture this. You're praying that in the morning, and all of a sudden, later in the afternoon, a ship comes in. Hey, there's a believer on the ship. Oh, brother in Christ, awesome. You give him a hug. He starts to tell you this story. Yeah, we just came from Joppa. And there was believers from Jerusalem in the port town of Joppa. And they told us that the apostle Peter actually just went to Joppa and actually witnessed the Holy Spirit falling on Gentiles. What? Gentiles. Can you believe it? Non-Jewish people. And so, not only that, but Peter went back to the church in Jerusalem, and they had a meeting about it. Peter told the story. He said, yeah, these Roman soldiers, they asked me to come. I preached the gospel to them. The Holy Spirit fell on them just like he fell on us. And now the whole church of apostles, the community of Jesus' followers, they all agree God must love the Gentiles. Now, why is that a big deal? Well, just that morning, you probably, if you're a believer on Cyprus, were thinking, God, why am I here? 
Why am I way out here? Why am I separated from what you're doing? Why, why is everything else going on over here? You're doing all this good work over here, and I'm out here in barren desert cypress land by myself. While all the believers are in Jerusalem and doing cool things, I'm out here by my lonesome with nobody around, no God work going on. I just feel so lost, so left out, so discouraged in this barren desert place. And now in an instant... You get this news that the church now is accepting Gentiles. The church realizes that God also loves the Gentiles. And you start to think, hey, my neighbors are Gentiles. The guy across the street, he's a Gentile. The baker that I get my bread from, Gentile. The butcher I go to, Gentile. The banker, Gentile. The kids my kids play with, Gentiles. Right, Gentile, Gentile, Gentile. All of a sudden, you go from like, I'm outside of what God is doing to I'm actually right in the exact middle of what God is doing. And you go from this place of like, why am I left out? Why aren't you using me? Why would you let this happen, God? To looking around and going, the opportunity is literally endless. I am planted right in the middle of the only Gentiles. It's amazing, right? This paradigm shift overnight. And that's why I love this story. Because we get this encouragement from this. This is a part of almost everybody's journey. If you start walking with Jesus for any length of time at all, there's, there's moments in the story, well, like we talked about last week and the song that we just sang, right? We stand in the way of God. Like, we're the ones that are like, nah, I'm good. But like, once you get out of God's way, once you stop resisting what he's calling you to do, once you stop making the stupid choices to live in sin and actually surrender those parts of your life to God and trust him and what he says he's going to do, then there's usually following that moment, there's these seasons where you're like, I'm in the barren desert wilderness. I feel like God forgot about me. I feel like he's not using me. I feel like I'm in a place where he could never use me. And God, through this story, reveals that's never true. That's never true. Not only is it not true, like it just takes a moment for him to change everything. And you realize not only could he use me here, but the opportunity for you, him to use me in this moment is literally endless. You know when you start to pray those types of prayers? God, please use me. God, show me what I'm supposed to be doing. God, why would you let this happen? Can you please lead me into what you have for me right now? You, you know, when you ask God to please show you what to do with your life, there's only three possible answers. I only held up two fingers. Three possible answers. He could say, okay. And he could show you exactly what he wants you to do because that's what's best for your life. Or he could say, no. And he could not show you because it's not good for you? And the third possible answer is he could say, not yet. Not yet. And the truth is, I don't, I don't know what the percentages are, but a giant majority of the time, that's the answer. Not yet. Just wait. Just wait a day. Just wait a week. Just wait a year. Just wait five years. Just hold on. I got things going on. I'm moving pieces. I'm working in other stories. I'm bringing the thing that you want so badly and so desperately, the meaning and purpose and fulfillment in your life. You feel lost and desert place, abandoned. Just wait. It's just not yet. Just hold on. 
just hold on. And, and this matches not only story after story after story that we see in the scriptures of God coming through and proving himself faithful and true and never leaving us or forsaking us, but story after story after story in real life of people I know and have talked to and have seen God come through after long stretches of feeling abandoned. Like they were out of the place that God was doing great work. That they were forgotten. That they, God could somehow not use them now because these circumstances in their lives, like, oh, I can't be used anymore. I'm out in this weird spot or I'm in a weird season or I can't. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. So often God's answer to our prayers is just not yet. It's just not, just wait. It's going to make sense. I promise. It's going to make way more sense and be way better than you'll ever expect. Just wait. And I tell you all that because I understand that this feeling of being abandoned is part of everybody's story. It happens. It's going to happen to you. Maybe it hasn't happened right now. Maybe you're in it and you came this morning and the Holy Spirit's like, hey, I drugged Jared's face in the bottom of a lake and made him think of this message just for you this morning. To be like, yes, you need to know God has not left you or forsaken you. Right? But maybe you came in this morning and you're like, I'm in a great spot. I, I don't mean to like be Mr. Naysayer, like doomsday prophet guy, but this, this moment's probably coming. There's probably going to be moments in your future where you're like, man, I was in this great spot. Now I'm not in this great spot. And I'm wondering, why would you do that, God? Just wait. Just wait. You can go from I don't understand to wow, he's a great God in an instant. But you're not waiting on circumstances you're changed. You're just waiting on God's timing. You're just waiting on God to do it in the time that is best for not only his purposes, but your life. You realize that, right? God's doing things in the timing that he's doing them because that's what's best and most loving for you. Now, look at verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, there's this other story going on across the Mediterranean Sea. Cyprus, you know, the, kind of the theoretical story, you know, that I was just talking about. Cyprus is in the middle of the ocean. Uh, Antioch is on the coast north of Israel, a couple hundred miles. And then what's happening here is very similar to the story we just talked about. This idea of the believers being scattered and being like, why God, why would you? And then all of a sudden, Gentiles are allowed in. Gentiles are people God loves. And now it makes perfect sense. Saul is going through a very similar thing. Now, when I say Saul, maybe you don't recognize that name. Later, God would change his name to the Apostle Paul. Okay, so this is the Apostle Paul we're talking about, but this is pre-name change. And just in case you didn't realize this, about 10 years has passed between Acts chapter 9, when we last ran into Saul, and Acts chapter 11, where we're reading about Saul now. Okay, now sometimes we don't realize that. We're just reading straight through. We don't take the time to dig a little bit and be like, how long is this? But actually later on in Paul's life, he would write in Galatians, if you want to reference it, and he would give kind of a timeline of events. And if we read that timeline, he says he got saved on his way to Damascus, 
He was preaching the gospel in Damascus. They tried to kill him, so he ran off to Tarsus, to the backside of the desert, the middle of nowhere, right? Then after about three years, he's like, hey, maybe they won't try to kill me anymore. He's been hiding out for three years. He comes back to Jerusalem to introduce himself to the apostles. The apostles are all scared of him. Then Barnabas comes, grabs him, says, hey, Saul, I heard you follow Jesus now. Brings him to Peter. They stay together. The apostles accept him. He starts preaching the gospel. And just like in Damascus, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem want to kill Saul. So he runs again, goes to Caesarea. In Caesarea, he starts preaching the gospel. They try to kill him again. So he's like, forget this. I'm out of here. And goes all the way back to Tarsus because nobody tries to kill him in Tarsus. And that's where he's been for the last 10 years. It's a long time. 10 years to be wondering, God, why am I here? God, I thought I knew what you were trying to use me to do. God, I, I thought I understood. I thought we had a plan that made a lot of sense. I was preaching the gospel. People were believing. What, why have I been here for 10 years now? It's a long, difficult, painful story, very similar to the story we just talked about. God, why? Why would you let this happen? Why am I outside of where you're doing your greatest work? Why am I separated from the things you're doing? So now fast forward 10 years, and it just so happens that Barnabas is the one the apostles sent to Antioch to investigate this new movement of Gentile believers. Now, remember we talked about these stories intertwining, right? The apostles could have sent anybody. They sent Barnabas. Why is that a big deal? Because Barnabas was the one 10 years earlier who had grabbed Paul and brought him to the apostles and said, no, 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 he's a good dude. He loves Jesus. His heart's been changed. Let's listen to what he has to say. And now Barnabas is watching this growing community of believers in Antioch. And in the back of his mind, he thinks, hey, I wonder what Saul's doing. Tarsus isn't too far from here. I wonder where Saul's at. I'm going to go find him. And because of his history, 10 years earlier, meeting with Saul, he goes now to Tarsus, finds him, brings him back to Antioch, and installs him as kind of the leader of the church in Antioch. And it says they preached the gospel over and over to these people, and the church explodes in Antioch with Gentile believers. Like, isn't this a crazy story? I love it. Paul thinks, or Saul thinks, I'm, oh, I'm outside the will of God. I'm outside of where he's doing his great work. And the whole time, there's this church building in Antioch. Saul has no idea God wants him to lead this church. But the church just doesn't exist yet. It's not because Saul's doing something wrong. It's not because he was being disobedient. It's not because he was, like, misbehaving and God was upset with him. He's like, you're going to go out to Tarsus where nobody knows in the middle of nowhere. And I'm going to punish you. No, 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 it wasn't any of that. God was just, not yet. Not yet. The, the church that I have you to lead, Saul, just doesn't exist yet. Now, even though we have this benefit of hindsight, I don't minimize how difficult a season this must have been for Saul. This must have been a very difficult, hard, frustrating season of life. A decade of praying, God, will you please show me what I'm supposed to do right now? God, will you please answer my prayer? Will you please show me why I'm here? God, can you please use me? In my mind, anyway, I see this playing out like this. Saul praying for 10 years. God, will you show me? God, will you please use me? God, will you please, please, please? And God's saying the whole time, not yet. I will, just not yet. 
Just not, just hold on. I'm going to use you. It's going to be great. It's going to be better than you could ever imagine. It's just not yet. And the interesting thing is Barnabas, whose obedience in this story actually opened up the greatest door for who? Not himself, but for Saul. Right? So Barnabas is probably thinking about Saul for a long time. Like, remember that great song? I remember when he preached the gospel and somebody got saved. Like, why can't we use that gift again? Where's he at? And God was waiting for his perfect timing also to bring Barnabas into this situation. And Barnabas's obedience actually opens the door for Saul to step into ministry in a way that he had never seen. So, so far we have these three incredible stories. The scattered believers, right, who may have wondered why God allowed them to be scattered only to find out that God was bringing the Gentiles in and they were accepted in the opportunity and it was all around them now. Then we have Barnabas, whose obedience and connection to a man from 10 years earlier ends up leading to that guy's incredible achievement. To be honest, like, I know we don't measure it this way, especially in the church, but, like, maybe one of the most successful and influential Jesus followers of all time is Saul, who later becomes the Apostle Paul. And all that happened, why? Because Barnabas was just obedient. And then we have this third story of Saul, who for the same decade is probably felt lost and abandoned and forsaken when God was really just waiting for the absolute perfect time. All three stories share this in common. They're just waiting for God's perfect timing. There's this period of difficulty and uncertainty, and then once God does his work, there's this joy and appreciation for the goodness of God and his working, even when they didn't understand. And there's a really good chance... If somebody is listening to this right now and they walked in this morning feeling lost and abandoned and forsaken and useless and maybe you're feeling uncertain, like maybe God doesn't have a plan for you and isn't showing you what to do and you don't know why he's not working in your life and moving in the ways you want to, receive encouragement from these stories right now. Receive encouragement from these stories. If God's answer is not yet, just rest in that. Just rest in that. It's okay if God says not yet. Waiting is not wasted time. Waiting on the Lord is probably the most productive thing you could do in your life. Somebody say amen. It's really good. Right? We think waiting is a waste. Just waiting. Just waiting around. No, it's not a waste. It's the most productive thing you could do if God's answer to your prayer is just not yet. He's never late. He doesn't forget. He hasn't given up on you. He will prove himself good once again in your life. Now, there's a very specific group of people for whom that message is encouraging, right? A very small group of people in the population really want to do what God wants to do. They don't understand why it's not happening right now, and they should receive encouragement from this this morning. The problem is almost nobody lives in that small group of people. The vast majority of the world we live in does not live there. They have no intention of doing what God wants them to do. The vast majority of people are listening to that and be like, yeah, I'm good, man. I got my thing going on over here. I'm just here so God can help me with my plan. I actually don't have any intention of praying what his plan is for my life. And that's where most people in our world live. Even the ones that go to church. I got my thing going on over here. I was just hoping that I could get some help with like what I got going on. Right? And so we're not even praying like, God, what do you want me to do? Will you show me what I'm supposed to do? We're like, I, I know what I'm supposed to do. I got a boat. 
I was just talking to someone about a boat this morning, right? So, like, I'm not making anybody feel bad if you got a boat. But, right, that's the kind of thing we do. Like, I'm doing my thing, and God, will you please bless my thing? That's the prayers we usually pray, right? I'm on my way. I got my plan. I'm I'm going where I want to go. Will you please help me get where I want to go? Maybe God's convicting you this morning. Maybe he's saying, I want you to go there. Have you asked him? We spend time at the end of service every week praying. I give you some silent time just to pray between you and God. Maybe, Maybe take that time this morning and say, God, am I even going where you want me to go? I mean, I've been asking you to keep me safe and bless my efforts and be with me as I go this direction. And and I didn't even ask you if that's the direction I'm supposed to be going. Maybe that's where you should start. Because here's the truth. The natural inclination of your heart is to do your own thing and to ask God to bless that. But the best possible plan for your life is actually to start in a completely different place and ask God what he wants from your life. And then watch as he provides along the way. And that's what's happening with the scattered believers. That's what's happening with Saul. And that's what's happening with Barnabas in our story. Now, let's circle back and talk about this sentence that just ended verse 26. Look at the end of verse 26 with me. It says this. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Let's go back and talk about this sentence real quick. This is huge. Look closely at what it says. It says, they were first called Christians. They were called Christians. They didn't call themselves Christians. And up until this point, anybody who believed in Jesus, they didn't call themselves Christians. They called themselves followers of the way. The way, I can't decide if that's like a super cool, like trendy name or like kind of sounds like a cult. I guess it doesn't matter, right? We follow the way, like oh, all right, I'm not coming to your house for dinner. But like, that's what they called themselves beforehand. We just followed the way. Now, outsiders, it says they were called Christians. So outsiders are saying, you're Christians. Now, that may not mean a huge thing to you until you realize what Christian actually means. In Greek, Christian literally means little Christ. So here's, there's two really huge things that you need to realize from this. First, they weren't the come up with their own nickname guy. You ever know that guy? The guy that comes up with his own nickname? It's super lame. It's like, yeah, they call me Cool J. Like, nobody calls you Cool J. You just made that up. Like, you can't make up your own nickname. It's like it's a rule somewhere. Like, people who make up their own nicknames is super lame, right? So the Christians didn't start calling themselves Little Christ. They're like, we're so Jesus-like, we're just Little Christ. No, no, no. Outsiders started calling them little Christs. Out, it says they were called Christians, not they started calling themselves Christians. So but non-believers, people who were not part of their community, like those little Christ people, that should preach right there. That's powerful that other people would look on and say, you're like a little Jesus. You know who you remind me of? That Jesus guy. You're like a little one of him. That's huge, right? And in fact, if you flip that around and start to think of like, am I a Christian? Like in 2021, we answer that question. Are you a Christian? Yes. In first century, are you a Christian? I don't know. Do I remind you of Jesus? 
You tell me, am I a Christian? Like, I don't answer that question. You answer that question. Look at my life. Do I look like a little Christ to anybody? Does anybody look on me like, that guy's like a little Jesus? Here's the second thing we learn about this. The goal of the first century disciples was to be like Jesus, to be a little Christ. Is that a substantially different goal than most people who consider themselves Christians today? I think it is. Here's why. Here's the difference. Uh, I took a math class in college, and uh, it was called uh, theoretical geometries. It was like, this is ridiculous, math elective. Like, there is such a thing. Like, nobody elects to take extra math. Anyway, I had to take this class. And it was taught by this guy, uh, and he was very smart. But he would drink three Diet Mountain Dews every class period. It was only a 50-minute class, right? 10 to 10.50, and he would drink three of them. And, like, I remember getting to class early one day, and somebody was talking to him at the front, and he was just kind of talking about his life. He was like, yeah, I got to stop doing the... Diet Mountain Dew thing. He's like, I drink a 12-pack a day. I was like, dude, that's not great, right? And then he started telling about, he's like, yeah, I do all these unhealthy things. I stay up till three in the morning every night drinking Diet Mountain Dew and playing online poker and chess uh, with people from France. I was like, what? Like, it's so weird, right? But I was in the math class. Why? Because he was a genius at math. Did I want to be like that guy? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Can you add some math knowledge to what I got going on? Yes. Do I want to be like you? No. There's a very different thing going on. When you said, hey, this is Mr. So-and-so, my math teacher, and saying, hey, this is Mr. So-and-so, my math teacher, I want to be just like him. You see how different that is? That's completely different. And I think a lot of people come to the Bible, come to church, come to Christianity, come to worship music, come to whatever form of the Christian realm you interact with, and they treat it like a math teacher. Right? I got my thing going on. And if you add a little bit of math to my thing, maybe I'll get my degree and then I'll be better in my life and I can keep going on with my life. It's like, I want to learn a little bit from you, but I don't want to be like you. Have you read about Jesus? The guy was hung on a cross. Nobody in the world thought he was successful. He wasn't rich. He wasn't highly esteemed by the religious community. The, the, the upper echelon movers and shakers in the world, they didn't look at Jesus and be like, hey, he's got to figure it out. He wasn't well-respected in the world. He wasn't well-traveled. He didn't have a lot of Instagram followers, right? We have all these things where we're like, yeah, we want to receive a little bit from Jesus. Like his teachings can probably help us, but be like him? No, we're good. And I think there's people who read the Bible, who say prayers, who sing worship songs, and have no intention of actually being like Jesus. And you know how come I could say that? It's because I'm one of them. 
Right? I was reading this this week and studying through it and praying through it. And I got pretty convicted. I was like, I'm reading my Bible so often on what I can receive from Jesus instead of thinking how I can actually be like Jesus. Because there's a lot of things that Jesus was that I don't have any intention of being like. I don't want to be poor. Who wants to be poor? That would suck. I don't want to be despised by humans. I don't want to be looked at as like, oh, you don't understand. You're not getting it. Like all the things that Jesus was, like how, how concerned am I really about being like absurdly generous or walking by faith constantly or really trusting God with all the details of my life? Like those are the types of things that Jesus was that the first century apostles said, we're called to be like him, not just learn from him. To be little Christs. So the outside world looks on and says, you know who you remind me of? You look like you're trying to be like that Jesus guy. That's a huge shift from where we've gotten to in our world. Now, I think it's awesome. Verse 27. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone, according to his own ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Now, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this. I'm kind of running out of time. But historically, between the beginnings of Acts chapter 11 and the end of Acts chapter 11, the entire Christian world has been turned upside down. This is a huge historical power shift. Like, like when the chapter begins, Jerusalem is the center of the Christian movement. All the Jesus followers were practicing Jews. They went to the temple, practiced the feast, and Christianity was very much a Jewish faith. Now, at the end of chapter 11, Antioch is the center of the Christian movement. Hardly any of the Jesus followers in Antioch were practicing Jews. And the balance of influence has shifted so dramatically that the church in Antioch is sending support back to Jerusalem to keep the church in Jerusalem afloat. Look how different it is. Like the tides have totally shifted. It's primarily now a Gentile faith from here on out in your Bible. Like that's a huge shift. Like, culturally, like, the feel of Christianity has completely transformed in just one chapter. Again, not to spend a ton of time on it, but I think we're seeing a similar shift in our world, right? For a long time, the United States has considered itself the center of the Christian world, like a Christian nation, the center of the Christian movement, if you will. And I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that's changing. It's changed before. We saw it in Acts chapter 11. It's going to change again. I promise you. Now, here's where I'll finish. Maybe you're discouraged this morning. You're tired of waiting. And God, like he did for the scattered believers, is going to reveal to you in an instant that you are exactly where he wants you to be. And the opportunity is all around you. You just don't see it yet. Maybe that's what you're going to pray for this morning. We spend our time of prayer. Maybe God has a plan for your life to bring along somebody else. And maybe God's going to put that in your heart as you start to pray in just a minute. God's going to put somebody else in your mind like Barnabas and Saul. and said like, hey, I need to invest in that person. I need to go find that person. I need to pour into that relationship. Maybe 
You've heard God clearly say, not yet this morning. Just not yet. And you need to be encouraged that that's what he's saying to you. Not discouraged and think that waiting is wasted, but encouraged that he will not leave you or forsake you. And maybe you've realized you're just trying to learn from Jesus this morning instead of actually trying to be like Jesus. And there's some things God wants to change in your heart this morning. That's a great possibility. And here's what I know. If you ask him on any of these things, he will tell you what he wants you to do. He will show you. Our job is then to have the faith to ask the question. I said it earlier. Most people don't even ask, God, am I doing what you want me to do? They're just like, yeah, I'm doing what I want to do. God, will you please bless it? Keep me safe. Bless my food. Amen. Right? Give us a good night rest. Like those are the types of prayers we pray. Instead of, God, am I even on the right path? Am I investing in the right people? Am I waiting in a way that you want me to wait? Am I looking for the things that you've called me to look for? Am I trying to be like you in my life at all? Here's what I know. There will be a day. Maybe it's a week from now. Maybe it's two years from now. Maybe it's a decade from now like it was for Saul. When we look back and we rejoice at the goodness of God as reflected in the timing of the story he wrote with our lives. You believe that this morning? I know there's all sorts of people in all different places in their stories. And I can say with certainty, because I've watched it happen, I've read it in the scriptures, there will be a day in your future when you look back and you go, you know what, God knew exactly what he was doing. Can we celebrate that day this morning? Do we have to wait for that day to come? Or can we celebrate that that day exists in our future? Is anybody with me? Does that encourage anybody else? Can you look forward and be like, that day's coming. That's good news. Let's sing, man. I'm the only one that's fired up. Okay, well, that's fine. Worship team, come on up. We're going to take some time. We're going to spend, like I said, uh, a minute or two allowing you to pray. You just speak to God on your own terms. I don't know what he put on your heart this morning. Bring it to him. Maybe you're confused. Maybe you're like, I don't know what the heck I'm supposed to be praying. Maybe you don't know where you're supposed to go in life. Maybe you feel like you're discouraged and waiting. Maybe you don't understand. Bring those things to God right now. Bring those things to God. He will not leave you. He will not let you suffer. He'll give you clarity. Sometimes it just takes getting all the distractions out of your life for a second and just offering that moment to God. Right? And that's hopefully what happens at church. We're watching your kids for a minute. We're going to play some music. We're going to be quiet. You just sit with God and see how he leads your heart. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we are grateful people that you would uh, do such an incredible thing as to speak to us, as to have a plan for our lives, as to have that day in the future where we will celebrate and rejoice in all the things that you've done that you've proven yourself faithful and true. And I pray right now, as we just spend some time thinking on you, praying to you, asking you, that you would be faithful to answer. That you would just lead us right now. Go ahead and spend some time right now just praying to the Lord on your own.